Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. How many of you have ever had to, to, to do a resume? You know... So you, you put this information down on there, the history, your job history, um, and, and the human resources department wants to look at it, get an idea of what you've experienced, what you've done, whether you're able to do the job. And, you know, when we, when we create an, a resume, we very seldom would we put on there anything negative. Well, you know, I don't know if, if I've had to look at resumes, and if I get a resume that says, well... Uh, two employers ago, I got fired because I stole from them. Yeah, you know, you're not exactly going to hire them. But we always try to put positive things on our resume. And what we're going to see today is, as Paul continues to struggle with the fact that the church has left the gospel and left Jesus, which, and I'll be honest with you, the more and more I'm, I'm watching and, and learning, the church is doing that today. Church is leaving the gospel. They're not teaching from Scripture. They're projecting themselves into Scripture. They're not taking what the Scripture says and bringing it out and saying, this is what was being said and this is what it is. They're saying, well, <laughs> this, is, this verse is what this says and this is what it means to you and this is how you could be better and how you can be happy. That's not the gospel. So we are leaving the gospel, just like Paul is struggling with the churches in Galatia. So Paul's going to give them his resume today in these verses. And what's amazing about what you'll see as Paul is doing this is that Paul actually gives some information that most of us would probably be embarrassed and would never think of putting on a resume. So we're going to read the verses. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read God's Word. And this is in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Remember, Paul has already confronted them about the fact that there are people coming in, people from Jerusalem, probably former Pharisees, possibly, or former people who were very who were part of the, the temple, because the priests were becoming believers in Christ. We see that in the book of Acts. So this is who he's going up against as he's trying to convince the people to stop listening to them and go back to the real gospel that was taught by Christ and that he taught to them. And this is what he says: it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. So here is Paul's resume. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he 
who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. May God's word bring glory to him. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you this morning for your word, for what Paul has experienced, what Paul is defending, the gospel, the true gospel of Christ. Christ crucified buried, dead, risen. Why? Because you are holy and we are not. And we are sinners and we need a Savior. May these words, Father, rend our hearts. May we speak this truth in our lives to each other and to the world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now here in verse 11, Paul is is repeating what he actually said in verse 1 of this chapter, verse 1 of the letter, the beginning of it. These false apostles were saying that the gospel of Paul that taught was not God's gospel. It wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was man's gospel. Because, come on, we've been doing Judaism for a long time. This is what God instituted in the Old Testament. It's what you're supposed to do. So Paul is now going on the defense. He's going to defend the gospel. Now we we have to remember that Paul never met Jesus while he was in while Jesus was on the earth. Between before Jesus was crucified, Paul wasn't there. Between the crucifixion, the resurrection, and God and Jesus' ascension back to his father, Paul wasn't there. Uh, he talks in and in another book about he's the one, he's the apostle that's untimely born. Meaning he wished he'd been born back then. Don't you ever wish you'd been born at a different time to experience something different? To see somebody that is your hero? I mean, Paul did not experience Christ until he was on the road to Damascus. And Jesus appeared to him as a bright light and spoke to him. And that moment, that moment on Damascus, on the Damascus Road changed his life forever. It changed him. He was so zealous for, for the gospel, for the, uh, for the Judaism. And it completely, he realized that that's not the answer. It's not works. He had been a Pharisee. And, and the Pharisees were one of three parties in Jerusalem, in Judaism. We have, the other two were the Essenes and the Sadducees. Now, the Essenes were separatists. They were, uh, 
you know, there were the, and the scene would be that guy that sits in his, in his front porch and yells for you to stay off his lawn, you know? They wanted everybody just to leave him alone. And they went off into the desert waiting for true holiness to return. They felt that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had tainted the temple, so they left, waiting for the Messiah to come back so that this Messiah would come in and take care of everything. They were the separatists. They were waiting for God's perfect holiness. Then there were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees, now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they're more liberal, but I, I, only in today's term of liberal. They were the ones, they were the politically correct party. They were the ones who would side with the rulers. They were helping Rome. They were helping Herod. Let's just get along. If we get along, we'll stay in power and we'll continue to be able to do what we're doing. Those were the Pharisees and uh, the, the Sadducees. They were, but then there was the Pharisees. They were the conservative students of the Jewish law. They studied the scriptures. They knew, they knew what we were to do, how we were to do it. They were known to be probably the most vocal and the most visible, and they were sometimes violent. They were the ones that, if somebody was caught in adultery, they were the ones who would come with the stones. They probably had them stored in their pockets or something, waiting for someone to screw up so that they could stone them. And they would get the crowd riled up, and they would go, and they would execute justice whenever they could, usually in the back alleys because you couldn't, as a, as a as a Jewish person, you could not, a Jewish ruler, you could not execute anybody. That's why the Romans had to crucify Christ. But they were the most vocal. Zealousness was probably a prerequisite for being part of the Pharisees. They knew the Torah. They knew the, they knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew it frontward and backwards. They were adamant that the laws and customs must be followed. You can see that in the interactions between them and Jesus you know, the disciples are walking along picking heads of grain off of the, off of the wheat on Sunday, and they, and they come to Jesus and say, what are, you, what, are you, what are you guys doing? They're working. And they were just like grabbing a snack as they're walking by. And they, oh, no, they're working. That's how zealous they were for the law and how it was the letter of the law. The problem was that they didn't always follow the true law themselves. See, they, they were, many times they would put on a religious face. They would look religious. They would look pious. People would look up to them and say, oh, aren't they, aren't they good people? Oh, they're so close to God. The reality was they were the furthest from him. Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs and actually calls them sons of Satan. We can't be Pharisees. We can't put on that face. Make people believe that we are <laughs> what we're not in here. And that's what they were doing. Paul's zeal as a Pharisee was white hot. He was out killing Christians. People who were part of what they called then. They weren't called Christians at the time. They were called the way. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They remember that from his teaching. And so they called that group the way. 
In Paul's letter to the, the Philippines, I almost said Filipinos, to the Philippines, he gives more detail about his qualifications as a Jew. And here it is in Philippians 3.5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which is what you're supposed to do, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, because not everybody knew what tribe they were in, because only the two southern tribes could people trace their lineage. The ten northern tribes, they couldn't trace their lineage. So only Judah and Benjamin really knew what tribe they were in. And a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. He was so zealous in his Judaism that he made it his life's work to destroy this new sect called the Way. In fact, he was on a mission to arrest people in Damascus. He had letters that allowed him to arrest Christians in Damascus to bring them back for trial. And chances are they would have been stoned or killed. But God had another plan. God had a plan. And so on that road, Paul is surprised by a bright light he cannot see, and God's plan is put into action. Look at verse 15 in Galatians 1. 15 and 16. He says, But when he, meaning Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. God had sent him apart before he was born to do this very task. God changed the course of Paul's life. He had planned all along for Paul to be the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So God had sent him apart for that. He was even born to be part of God's plan. I mean, this this didn't happen because Paul deserved it. It didn't happen just because Paul was a Pharisee. It didn't happen because Paul was righteous and in his he was just he was righteous in what he was doing. He just wasn't quite, you know, he didn't have the right direction. It was had nothing to do with Paul's attitude or what Paul had done or who Paul was. Nothing. Paul didn't deserve to have the grace of Christ. And I'll be honest with you, before he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, I imagine that he would never have even wanted it. He would never have wanted it. Think about probably a week before this, if you had walked up to Paul and said, you know, Paul, you're you're going to meet Jesus and you're going to become a believer in the way, he would have laughed in your face. Yeah, right. He would have. See, God showed his power by transforming Saul, who was persecuting the church, and turned him to a believer in Christ. The gospel. The story of who Christ is and what he had done on the cross broke through Paul's heart from the outside. The gospel took Paul and captured him. It changed his worldview. In our our Sunday school class, we're going to talk, I don't know if we'll get to it today, we're going to talk about worldviews. What's your worldview? Because it matters. It matters. Suddenly, everything in Paul's life 
changed at that moment. It changed from being man-centered, law-centered, to being Christ-centered. He, he had a new heart. And, 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 if, and if his gospel had come from man, he never would have got a new heart. Because, I'm sorry, if the gospel comes from man, all it could ever do is reflect what is inside man's heart. And Scripture tells us what's inside man's heart. Man's heart is deceitful. It lies. Don't trust it. Well, pastor, I feel, I don't care what you feel. What does scripture say? Well, but, but oh, I, I, I love that person. Yeah, but you're married. Well, I love her too. No, it doesn't matter what you feel. What does God say? We can't have a gospel that's man-centered because it will be man-centered and it will be deceitful. It reflects what's in us, which is not good. There's no one who does good. See, God initiated every step of Paul's life. God knew that Paul would be a Pharisee. He knew that Paul would, would persecute the church. This is exactly what God wanted to happen. I'm not telling, saying that God, you know, that Paul was a robot and did everything God told him to do. God set him on a course and gave him free will, the free will to make these choices. But he knew Paul would make those choices, and he knew what ultimately Paul was going to do. That's God. That's his sovereignty. Even with free will. Paul didn't want to be transformed. His life changed on the road to Damascus. And he was transformed from a, a violent fanatic into a preacher of the message of gospel of peace. And he did nothing to make it come about. It was God's doing. And it's still God's doing today. It is the grace of God that stops us right in our tracks and changes our lives. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not righteous at all. What is it? It's God's grace. It's Christ in me that makes me righteous. It's not my righteousness. That's why we put on his armor. Again, the breastplate of righteousness. His righteousness, not mine. Now, as I'm wearing that, I, I start to emulate. I follow him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I become more and more like Christ. But I won't ever become Christ. That's another new thing, new age thought that's coming into the church. That grace transforms our lives. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What he's saying there is, is you and I are separated from God because of our sin.
And we cannot change that. We can't because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ died for you. He died in your place. And now you and I can have a relationship with God. And because of that relationship with God, we are in, we have a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means I can go out and I can now be reconciled with other people. And I can lead them to reconciliation with God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Paul was not saved because he made a decision to stop persecuting the church. He didn't begin down the road of Damascus and say, and was thinking, you know, I, I, you know, I really like this gig I've got. I really enjoy you know, persecuting these Christians, but I, I think I'm going to stop today and I'm going to start believing in Jesus. That's not what Paul did. What happened was Paul encountered Christ. You must encounter Christ. That doesn't mean you're going to see a light. I'm not talking about some supernatural thing. What I am saying is you have got to, you've got to talk to him. You've got to get to know him. You've got to see him moving in your life. You've got to see him around you. He's, every, he's all around us. Romans tells us nature shows the character of God. You've got to know there's something more out there. And then you start seeking Christ. And if you seek him, you'll find him. And you will encounter him. And he'll change your life. And one thing we learned from Paul is it's not going to make your life better as far as worldly means go. You know, you're not all of a sudden going to be a millionaire and have all your problems go away, but it, you're going to have a different focus. You're not going to focus on you. You're going to focus on Christ. Paul was saved by God's grace in revealing Jesus to him. This is why Paul didn't rush back to Jerusalem. He didn't rush, you know... If I if I was learning, if I learned something new, I mean, I would search out probably the best person I know of to teach me how to further my skill. If I learned, let's just say I learned welding. <laughs> Jeff's going to laugh. I learned welding. I, I mean, Jeff has a welder. I'm not so sure I'd go to him to, to learn welding because he hasn't done it that long. He's not a master. He may, may we, maybe one day. Becky's shaking her head no. I would search out somebody who was the master. But doesn't that make sense? Paul is, all of a sudden he realizes that, that he has been doing something, doing it the wrong way, he's on the wrong side, and he says, I'm, he would go to Jerusalem. Let's go speak to Peter. Peter knew Jesus. He was friends with you. What about John? Oh, the disciple that Jesus loved. He was even closer to Jesus. Then let's, let's go talk to James, his half-brother. Jesus is half-brother. I mean, that's naturally what we would do. But Paul doesn't do that. He didn't rush back to Jerusalem to confer with the apostles and learn the gospel. No. His transformation was so amazing, it was done by God himself. And God revealed the gospel to him. So Paul did not learn the gospel from men. He learned it from Jesus himself. From the source. See, salvation, though, we need to learn this that salvation is sometimes hard to hold on to today. 
Our, our minds have been trained to be very results-oriented, right? We love results. I, you know, I, I work at something and, and I get results. I see the results. We want to see the results. That's why it is so attractive to be works-based. Because we're seeing the results of our faith. Because results only occur when we're moving towards a goal. But see, the gospel comes along and tells us, no, salvation is free. And you're like, oh, wow, I don't know. How can salvation be free? I mean, it can't be. If it's that great, and it's based upon eternity. If I accept Christ, I get to spend eternity with him. If I don't, I, get to spend, I have to spend eternity separated from him. If that's true, then how can grace be free? It can't be. God says, yes, it is, because it comes from the God, grace of God. But we always, if we, we encounter it, the first thing we ask is probably, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Well, I'll be honest with you, at the most, we, we have to repent, we have to believe, that's, that's about it. But what does repent mean? Well, repent means you stop the stupid things that you're doing. You turn the other way and you go the other direction. All right, I, I can do that. And then you have to believe. Well, what do I have to believe? You have to believe that salvation only comes through Christ and that he is your salvation. Make him Lord of your life. That's all you have to do. That's the only, if you even want to call them works, which I don't, I think it's a mind change. It's a thought change and a heart change. It's not even a work. Because even if I repent, and what, what, if, I, what if I stumble again? Oh, I've got to go through it all over again, right? Well, yeah, you should repent and you should ask God for forgiveness, but you don't lose your salvation. You didn't gain your salvation by works. How, how could you lose it by works? By not doing the works. But you need to repent. You know, I, not that I would ever do this, but I, I could do something really stupid towards my wife. Yeah, I've done it a lot. Okay? And... And she forgives me even before I ask for forgiveness. But what should I do? I should go and ask her for forgiveness. But she's still my wife. She still loves me. Now, I believe, and, and we can sit and talk about this, but I do believe that it is possible for us to lose our salvation. It's hard work to lose your salvation. You have to be intentional about it. But it is possible. You have to intentionally deny Christ and walk away from him. See, but to us, this just sounds too easy. It's too good to be true. Nothing in life is free. There's always strings attached, right? What the gospel says, and it proclaims that God's divine grace does all the work. Yes, you're right. Nothing is free. Your salvation was not free. Somebody had to pay, and that was Jesus. He had to pay for your salvation. But he did it willingly. It's not our ability, our intelligence. It's not even the law of God that can save us. We take the message of Christ into our hearts and then trust it above all other messages. And brothers and sisters... There are so many messages out there today that are trying to take the place of the gospel in our lives. We must, we must keep the gospel central in our minds and believe it above all others. No matter what anybody tells you, the gospel 
is the truth. Jesus came. We are sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's coming again. And you better be ready. Because if you're not, you're not going to be with him. And when we trust the gospel, we follow Christ. If I... I, 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 this way my mind works. I'm thinking of the Looney Tunes cartoon that has the big dog and the tiny dog. And a lot of times the dog's running around the big dog, right? Because he's so excited just to be around him. Well, that's how we need to be with Jesus. That's how we need to be with this gospel. We're so excited that Jesus loved me enough to die for me that I want to learn all I can about him. So I spend time in scripture. I talk to other people. I read books. I do listen to videos. Whatever I need to do to learn more and to grow deeper in our faith. I go to small groups. I go to Sunday school. We follow him, and we do what he tells me to do. If I go to a master welder, and the master welder says, okay, do this, I better be doing it, because he's done it before. Jesus tells you and to do something. Well, how does Jesus tell me to do something? It's in Scripture. There's a lot in here. And he told Paul, and Paul tells us. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. That, that'll take a lifetime to master, believe me. And that's just one or two, if you want to count them as two, things we're supposed to do that Jesus told us to do. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. There's one we need all to work on. Wives, submit to your husbands. Yes. Got to understand what that means. But we need to do it. And we do those things because of the gospel and because of the grace of Jesus Christ and the fact that God loves us and God is holy. And what is that? That's sanctification. It's work that's being done in us by God. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We sanctification begins when we believe because Christ sanctifies us. But even sanctification is not a work that we do. Just because I start here and I'm here and you're here doesn't mean you're any less a believer in Christ. It just means that you're just not, you haven't moved as far as God has moved me or moved somebody else. Or you may be higher farther than me. It doesn't matter. We're all being sanctified. We're being changed. It's the work that Christ does in us. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that say? <laughs> you say, oh, I'm, just, I'm struggling, Pastor. Man, I, every day I struggle. Yeah, guess how long you're going to struggle? Till Jesus comes back. <laughs> Paul says it right here in Philippians. He'll bring it to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ, when he comes back. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? He is. See, once we place our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our sanctification of Christ begins, and, we'll, and, and it'll continue until he returns. So throughout our whole lives, we're growing into Christ. Not to become him. We will not become Christ. We will be like him. This is the work he does in us and through us. Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
God guides us into spiritual maturity and practical and progressive to be holy. The day will come when we will fully be sanctified and the time we will be glorified, which is the ultimate permanent holiness. And this is what Paul is struggling against. The church is not believing it. They're now going back to works-based. Why would we, why would we, that's why he's, that's why he's confounded, why he's confused. Why would you give up grace for works? Well, because I can see it. Okay. It's kind of like putting money in the bank, right? Do you see your money? Do you think you can go to the bank and say, they'll say, this is your money right here, this stack here, the stack or that stack, depending on, no, we don't see it, we know it's there. Money in the stock market. I know it's there for now. I don't see it. So what does Paul say? He's defending himself again, talking about the fact he's been, he was in Damascus for three years. And then he goes to Jerusalem. He finally meets Peter. And he talks to Peter. And what is he doing? He's confirming what Jesus told him. But he only stayed with him for 15 days. And the only other apostle he saw was Jesus' half-brother, James. And then he heads off to, to Antioch, which is in the area of Syria. It's in, up north of, Jeru- of, of Israel, in a place called Cilicia. And see, the, the churches in Judea, they, they, they had, had not really known what had happened yet. It's, they didn't have Facebook and telephones and texting and um, government wasn't following everything we did. You know, nobody knew what had happened, really. A few people did. All they had heard was the fact that, you know, Paul, who had been persecuting churches, or Christians, and churches outside of Jerusalem, it's mostly, they, he's now preaching the gospel. And, and what does it do to them? It, 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 that transformation, they begin to glorify God. You know, Scripture says that when, when a non-believer accepts Christ, the angels rejoice. I mean, a life has been changed. A transformation has begun. Another one's been taken from the evil one. And they rejoice. So the, the people, the, the, the believers in Jerusalem are glorifying God. And this is what Paul in Galatians 1.24 says. He says, and they glorify God because of me. See, that's another reason why we know that the gospel of grace, of free grace, is not from man. Because who does, who does the gospel glorify? The glor- gospel glorifies God. If it had come from man, it would glorify man. It cannot be from man. Even though there are people out there saying and preaching the gospel, and they're telling people, you know, you can fix all the problems in your life. If, if you just, you know, if, if you just sow $1,000 into our ministry, you'll solve all your problems. I was listening to a, watching a video today as I'm, I'm eating my breakfast with the kids, and, and, And in the video, they're talking about critical race theory and, and how they think that people who believe that believe that it's a solution to the problems of the world. So I asked my kids, what's the solution to the problems of the world? They said, God. Yeah. Yeah. 
We can't, we can't fix our problems. But they teach you that you can overcome the wounds of your life if you do this or that, or you can reach heaven by what you do. They're not preaching the true gospel. The true gospel tells us that you and I are sinners. We have been doing it all wrong. But there's no reason to fear because God had a plan. And Jesus paid the price. And if you believe and trust the work that he has done, you will be saved. Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess you with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. But you have to believe it. Well, how do I know I believe it? Well, it's changed your life, and you think differently. If you still have those old thoughts, you still have work to do. You say, well, I, 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 conf- I, I repented and I prayed. Yeah, you did, but you're still struggling with the sin nature, and you need to pray for God to help you to overcome it and not have those same thoughts. It won't happen overnight. I still struggle with things. I struggle with thoughts I shouldn't have and say things I shouldn't say and kick myself every single time I do because I know I'm not supposed to do it. I can't kick myself like I used to. I used to be able to... (laughs) Too much of that, I think. I've built muscles up that, you know... Understand, trusting the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ will not make your life perfect. Look at Paul. Paul was bitten by a snake. He was shipwrecked. He was whipped. He, he, they thought he was stoned. They thought he was dead. Ultimately, what happens to Paul? He gets his head chopped off. Whoo, there's an there's a advertisement for a job, right? Come be with us and we'll, you know, you'll die. It wasn't perfect, but it was right. He trusted in the gospel. He trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ. By worldly standards, it's crazy. But the thing is that God will get us through those struggles in our lives. He won't take them away because they teach us. But if we trust him, he will get us through it. Whether it's whatever it is, whether it's financial issues or whether it's the death of a loved one. In the end, Jesus will get the glory for it especially when he returns. It's easy for the church today to revert back to the tradition of law-keeping because that's safe. It's safe. I can do those things. I can, I, can, I can obey all the Ten Commandments. I haven't killed anybody, right? I don't, I don't tell lies. I don't covet my neighbor's wife, at least not his wife. He's got a nice house, and, you know... <laughs> We, we, we can look at those things and say, yeah, I'm a good person. Not enough. Because see, what happens is when we, when we go to the law, when we go to works-based salvation, it, it helps us avoid shame. We, we live outwardly, and it garners praise from men. Oh, yeah, you're a good person. I, yeah, I wish I could be more like you. But that doesn't reflect our heart, because the heart is evil. It needs to be changed. And we need to change from the inside out. The church is full of people who seem to be living righteous lives, but their hearts in reality are far from God. And what Paul experienced on the road made him realize that, that the very Christianity he was attacking was right. And the fact that this completely blew up his idea of works-based Phariseeism of work-based religion to the point that it killed it 
and it replaced it with grace-based salvation. This moment called his life and his worldview into question. And we know this because in Philippians, here's what he says. Philippians 3, he says, Whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was further along than anybody his own age. He was on path. He probably would have been head of the Pharisees. Long, he probably been the youngest person ever to lead the Pharisees. He says, that's nothing. I count it as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Understand, that Greek word rubbish is not rubbish. It's garbage. It's a bad word for you know what. That's what it is. It's a word you don't, it's only used here. It's crap to the nth degree. So he says, it's nothing. It means nothing. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ and righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul gave up his life as a Pharisee that most people would look at and say, that's what I want to be. He would have had wealth, power, respect, everything from a human perspective that we would want and we would desire. But he encountered the gospel on the road to Damascus, and that showed him that all he had was rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would feel the same way. That knowing Christ is the most important thing in our lives. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, oh, Jesus is my boyfriend. Oh, he's my friend. Yeah, he is your friend. He's not your boyfriend, by the way. But I mean knowing him as a true friend as Lord, as Savior. That's what it's about. And that just doesn't just happen. You, you, have to, you have to know him and get to know him, spend time with him. Paul's knowledge of the gospel and of Christ was more than factual and historical. It actually became spiritual and personal. The change in his life and world can only be explained one way, and that was because of the encounter with Christ and the gospel that saves He had been living from the outside, doing all the righteous things. But it never got to his heart until the Damascus Road. The gospel does the very thing that works cannot do. We're going to see in Galatians, when we get to Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. We all know this verse. Any of us have been grown up in the church for a long time. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not political ideology, traditions, philosophy, psychology. It's not law-keeping. None of that can get us where we need to be. If these things could, if it was possible that they could, who would get the glory? I would. If I was a great philosopher, I'd get the glory and all my teachers would get the glory. If I'm a, if, if I'm a great accountant, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If I'm a great accountant, it's my teachers and my training and my brain that does it. But what if it's the gospel? Who gets the credit for the gospel? Only God. 
to get the credit for the gospel. My salvation only is because of Him. And if that, but the problem is, is when we when we focus on workspace, when we focus on what I can do, the problem is then we make the death of Jesus a sad, useless event in history. Righteousness from God and not from us that depends on faith and not our obedience to the law is the message of the gospel. And thank goodness it is. Because understand, no matter what I do, I'm still not good enough. If I work on, if I have to talk about, if we need to, if it's works-based salvation, I'll never do it. I'll never make it. I can't do enough. I can't do enough. It's not. It's grace-based on Jesus dying on the cross. Thank goodness it is. It's not my holiness, but the grace of God. So our desire should be that the gospel would make our lives better. Not perfect, better. But the gospel surrounds our lives with the grace of God. That's what makes it better. Doesn't mean it's going to be easier. Doesn't mean it's going to be not going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But I have God's grace and I have God's presence. I have Jesus to help me. So the question is, have you experienced the transformation that comes from an encounter with Jesus and his gospel? You can be simply, you can do that by simply believing the gospel over everything else. Repent and believe. Or are you struggling? Are you struggling with your faith? Stop struggling and pray that God would give you greater understanding of his gospel in Christ. Because see, the, the, the answer is not struggling more and struggling harder. The answer is to surrender. Surrender is the answer. That's what Paul is telling this church. Surrender to what I first told you. It's by grace you have been saved, not by works. We need to surrender to Christ daily. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your grace and your holiness. Lord, help us. Help us to, help us to see you in such a way that we know that we can't do this. We can't, we can't get salvation by works. It is only through grace. It doesn't mean, Lord, that we don't do good works. In fact, if, if we trust in you for salvation and we believe in you, we're going to do good works. I mean, you've, it says in Ephesians, you've already prepared them for us. We're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We're going to do good things. But the transformation needs to happen in our heart and in our mind. We need to surrender. Believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Proclaim it with our lips. Walk in faith. But we can't even do that without you. So help us to do that. And help us to glorify you in all of it. I'm able to do this. Oh, that's great because because of God and his love and his holiness his righteousness that I'm able to do this help us to do that to bring you glory 
to share your gospel with how we live, what we do. And yes, even with our lips proclaiming it, speaking the gospel to each other and to the world. And we pray this by your grace, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.